Welcome to KBCast, the podcast for security executives, interviewing people from around the globe on how organizations can operate smarter and stay safer. Here's Carissa Breen. I caught up with Raina from Alex Solutions and we discussed data integrity and data security. Raina spoke at length about how he'd approach data integrity and his processes that companies can look to implement. Raina provides insight about some of the pitfalls he's seen when it comes to data and how to manage it accordingly. If you're keen to learn more about data integrity and security, then this episode is for you, so please keep listening. Hey, so Raina, welcome. Thank you very much for taking the time today to come on to our podcast. And today is going to be a really interesting topic, talking about data integrity and data securities. And I'm really keen to dive into those specifics. But how we always structure our interviews is talking about you first and your journey. So I'm really interested to know if you could please talk our listeners through where you started to where you are now. Yeah, sure. Hi, Carissa. Thanks for having me on too. Um, Yeah, look, I started my career in uh, a banking environment and in that environment, you know, data security is really critical. And also there's a heavy reliance on things like data analytics um, to the business operations, things like operational risk and market exposure and how much capital they've got. Um, My role always revolved around data management, reporting, analytics, establishing platforms, that kind of thing. And um, as I continued in my career, I started to discover more uh, sophisticated ways of enabling and maximizing value and enabling analytics. Um, You know, in the beginning, there was providing analytics from core systems directly. Then there was the birth of data warehousing and analytical platforms. Mm -hmm. And then later, more advanced data analytic platforms like Data Lakes as a repository to drive analytical outcomes. And all of this was coupled with increased levels of automation and data pipelines. And so um, I worked for numerous vendors over time, um, leading data management practices and leading teams until eventually in 2016, um, I was one of the founding partners of Alex Solutions. And so here we focused on automating that data understanding and extracting that value and taking action on that data. So um, we're now one of the leading companies in the world in metadata management and data governance. And we've helped our customers um, to sort of find and understand and protect and ethically use data. And that's an important point about the ethically use. And we do that through automation of of data discovery and and the whole metadata management lifecycle. And uh, so that includes data governance and enabling things like collaboration and enterprise integration. So the kinds of use cases we're talking about, data discovery for data consumers and data scientists, or, you know, people are trying to modernize their systems and migrate to the cloud, Um, and support that through impact and lineage analysis. And then there's also getting semantic understanding um, from a business glossary and using organisational terms and policies and controls and then associating that with technical assets and data assets uh, across the platform. It's interesting because I also started my career historically in banking and uh, specifically data analytics while 
some part of it, yes, in the earlier stage. Uh, so I have an appreciation for it. I'm keen to, as you've got quite sort of a lot of experience in the space, I'm really curious to see over your time, what have been sort of the, the, the main or, or the pivotal moments that you've sort of seen in the change of how we've, we've moved across the space uh, in terms of data management? Like, has it, has it been quite a substantial transformation in your experience or what's your view? It's, it's, that's a really interesting question. And I think um, I've seen some transformation in how the problem is, is addressed. Mm-hmm. So if you read business books from 1950s, the challenges have been the same. It's like, how do I optimize my business? How do I use my understanding of, of my inventory, of my sales, of my you know, operations to, mm. to make my business more efficient? But the way this has been addressed is different. Like it used to be, as I say, from core platforms. Then, you know, in the 90s, there was data warehousing and that became a, a key way to aggregate data and relational databases were just foundational to that. But now the scale of those systems has reached its limits. And so we're looking at more sort of data lake, uh, unstructured data sources with relational overlays on them data pipelines and streaming data. So it's, it's a very different landscape that we see. Would you say now, I mean, even, okay, so for example, if you look at even the pandemic, because people have had to sort of rush into doing things because ultimately they didn't have a lot of choice, right? Would you Have you, have you seen quite a significant shift since the pandemic, for example, versus, I don't know, over the last 10 years and just in terms of the velocity behind how things have changed quite significantly? Uh, that's undoubted, undoubtedly, that's mm. the case. And, um, you know, organisations that historically would not have had, let's say, a work-from-home policy or enabled external access to their systems had to rush to open up access through remote access, through uh, VPN networks, um, uh, opening up, uh, uh, you know, through video channels and things like that, uh, enabling people to continue to operate outside of the um, typical sort of workspace. And so that's bred a lot more, uh, firstly, software and development to enable those kinds of channels of of development, interaction, collaboration, all those things, but also opened up a lot of vulnerabilities for those organisations because, you know, every time you open a door, you're also opening a a vulnerability there. Would you say... I agree with you. And would you say that because of the the intensity of people having to move quite quickly, would you say that's a concern? It's it's only a concern if people, if those organisations are bypassing processes. So I think, uh, and, and there is a risk of that, right? Um, but uh, if, if in order to respond to the new reality, you're now dropping processes, dropping governance, mm. then that is definitely a concern. So uh, I think at the heart of this, you need to remember what you're dealing with, sensitive customer data, operational data, commercially sensitive information. Um, all of that is extremely valuable um, and and will cause issues for an organisation if it comes into the wrong hands. So dropping those, those standards, policies, processes, governance would present real issues. Mm, absolutely. Now, just to go a little bit deeper now on the whole 
data side of things, uh, I want to set the scene first only because I feel that there's still a lot of confusion around terminology and what those terms mean specifically. So could you perhaps, uh, Raina, explain the difference between data integrity and data security as I want everyone to know what they mean each individually so that we're on the same page because people still, I believe, interchange the terms a lot. Yeah, and uh, of course, you know, these things are, are, are complex and, uh, you know, people establish real understanding in these fields over many years. Mm. Um, but, yeah, data integrity is really involved in um, the validity of data and it accurately representing the business meaning. So we're talking about things like, does the data, you know, are the data values accurate and they represent the real world? Is it up to date? Have the business rules been correctly represented in that data? Is master and reference data being used correctly? Things like, you know, product IDs, industry codes, channel codes, are they all accurate? Mm. And finally, you know, is the data up to date um, and complete? Uh, complete both from an individual record perspective, like when you're looking at a single fact, or in aggregate when you're looking at a whole let's say a data set like a table or something or an application system or indeed across the organization. Mm. So, that, so that's integrity. If we're talking about data security, the lens shifts a little bit and now we're talking about is the data appropriately controlled and accessed and used? And so um, there's three tenets to data security, which are confidentiality, integrity and availability. So these three uh, sometimes get referred to as the CIA triad, mm -hmm. right? So integrity is a component of data security, but now with that CIA, confidentiality is concerned about the protection of confidential and sensitive information and protecting that from unauthorized and unintended disclosure. When we're talking about integrity, we're now talking about ensuring that only the right systems can modify that data so that the data remains consistent and accurate. And that fundamentally increased trust in that data. And then finally, the availability means protecting the systems that operate on that data and making sure that the functionality is available and ensuring that it continues to serve the purpose that's needed for the business. Mm, no, I really appreciate you um, illuminating the difference between those two because I, I have heard people still become a little bit confused about that. So I really appreciate the clarity. Um, just going back a step on data integrity. So you talked about the validity of the data. Now, I mean, how much do you know about data masking? Because the whole premise really around that is to use accurate, accurate data so they can build appropriate applications or systems or whatever it is. But then, of course, it's sensitive, right? So they, they mask that. What, what's your viewpoint on that? Yeah. Um, so, uh, again, it's about protecting that data from mm. unintended access. And it's also providing access to that data to the extent possible to support business processes. So let me just clarify that a little bit. Um, you might have a team that's trying to develop a new analytical model or they're mm -hmm. trying to create some analytical reporting. So they need access to that data and they even need access to the sensitive data, but they don't need it in the development lifecycle, for instance. So at that point, 
you would mask it or you would tokenize it or encrypt it in some way that they can still work with that data, um, achieve the outcome that they're trying to achieve, but not disclose that information. And that's part of that data security principle of ensuring mm. that only the minimal access is provided to enable that, that uh, business process to be conducted. Yeah, no, that's a really interesting point. I ask this because I, I've spoken to a fair few people on this topic, um, and I'm curious because from their understanding, it was uh, a lot of people weren't really conscious of or, or really even knowing that they were using um, one accurate data, which of course they have to. But again, it's about ensuring that the, it, it, the, the sensitivity then around that, and there is some type of masking in place. From what I've heard, a lot of the times it's not. Would you just say that potentially may come down to just naivety or perhaps not aware that it's something that development teams do need to do? Yeah, I, I, I think um, it's about expediting the process. I, I, I feel that most of the time it's felt that the speed at which the business wants to operate it just doesn't have the patience or tolerance to enforce these sort of uh, proper governance processes. Uh, and that's kind of what I was alluding to before, um, bypassing processes uh, in the name of achieving an outcome like speed to market. But mm. the, these things represent real exposures. And, and, you know, it needs to be recognised the exposure isn't always external. The, the risk could be internal to the organisation and the organisation... Mm has a responsibility to protect customer data from those kinds of exposures as well. No, you're absolutely right. And I think even in my experience, when, you, when you're trying to sort of add that governance layer on, um, development teams find that frustrating uh, because, like you said, they're trying to do things as quickly as possible and then you're sort of coming in there acting as a security police officer and saying like, no, we've got to do this process and it could substantially delay their development life cycle, which then, of course, creates frustration internally between different teams, as you're probably well aware of. It sounds like you've been in the room. Yeah, I have. Um, and it is a very interesting conversation because you do need to find that equilibrium, right? And I'm sure that you're well um, aware of how that is. And I think it's definitely a fine line to walk. I still don't believe that we've kind of gotten to that stage where we can manage the development process in terms of the to expedite things, but then also that, that government governance side of things because you've got two people with two different viewpoints that are constantly arguing with one another because they see things differently. And what's important to them is fundamentally different. So this is where you come back to um, automation and sustainability mm. and um, in, including that kind of governance and those policies in the data pipelines, including the pipelines that need to provision new data. So if I'm doing a brand new piece of development and I need mm. a new piece of data and I put a request in for that data, the pipeline that delivers that data to me should have embedded in it the checks for the policies and what kind of data I'm requesting and ensuring that the policies are applied mm. through mm -hmm. encryption, through masking or whatever uh, the, the appropriate policy is. So... Talk to me through how a company would know if they have sufficient data security because I know that sort of we've gone down this route now. So I'm curious to know like what companies should be looking for because as I said earlier, 
I think people have the right intention, but perhaps they don't really know. Uh, So I'm really keen for you to sort of tease out like what people should be looking for. So perhaps if they are listening to this podcast, they they know the signs of if they're doing something that they they could potentially um, intervene and know that they can get back on the right track. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great question. And knowing where to start, um, it's it's it can be really overwhelming. Uh, so I guess the first thing to start with is what is the data landscape even? How does it look? What is it that you're trying to predict, protect? Right. So um, there's tools like Alex that can help to do that and go and discover that data. So then, how is the information classified? Um, and what kinds of classifications are there and how should those different classifications be protected? And also for your organization then, what are your compliance drivers uh, from an industry perspective and from a customer perspective? Then you can look at it organizationally. Do you have clear accountabilities and boundaries of that information security? Are there accountabilities for the organization um, with respect to customer data like uh, GDPR uh, in, in Europe or California uh, Pri- uh, Privacy Act or um, in Australia we've got mandatory breach reporting, all these different kinds of responsibilities and obligations that a company might have to adhere to. Um, and then looking at also the providers for the organisation, are they adhering to those obligations with respect to data that they're hosting and managing on your behalf, right? So to extend your view to that. And then um, you can look at, you know, if we deep dive this subject a little bit and we really look at what are all the different kinds of data risks, there's things like data availability, um, removing single points of failure, ensuring that there's redundant systems for hot failover or multi-site or multi-platform strategies ensuring that the company has a business continuity plan if, if there are such failures, um, protecting from external attacks through firewall uh, configuration, um, uh, proactively upgrading and patching your software and your infrastructure, ensuring that the right authentication mechanisms are in place and testing all of that with penetration tests and, and attack simulations and those sorts of things. And I, mean, I mentioned earlier, internal vulnerabilities as well. Mm. So ensuring that that's tightly controlled, um, that minimum access rights are provisioned. Um, Only people with a bona fide need are given access to data. All these kinds of things need to be sort of put in place. When you mentioned before, what is the data landscape? Would you say that organizations in your experience sort of struggle with even answering that very first question? There's absolutely no doubt about it. Um, Mm. Most organisations become unintendedly complicated. Mm. Um, We we often see uh, large corporations with one to 200 systems. And it's like we're talking systems. Um, And, you know, when you think about each system having hundreds or thousands of data objects and, and, you know, thousands or millions of records... It's just a lot to get your head around. And so that's where automation and sustainability is key. How do you think that sort of comes around? Do you think it's because, I mean, depending on the the size and the uh, how old the organization is, it's sort of just you start off with one thing and then all of a sudden it's just expanded uh, and there's probably potentially could be some legacy systems in there as well. 
Do you think it's sort of that they didn't have a clear plan perhaps at the start and then things just sort of get bolted on and sticky taped on and all of a sudden we've got 200 systems that we're using and it's very hard to really understand and have a comprehensive understanding of what what all of our data landscape really looks like. Yeah, I mean, 100%. I mean, uh, there's a couple of things, right? Humans are not very patient. We talked about that before, right? So they they get a prototype or a pilot done and they go, that's great, I've achieved my objective. Uh, And it might not ever mature to replace the legacy system that it was intended to replace. Um, Phase one might be all that gets implemented. Also, there's organisational change. People move on. And so the uh, person who was championing a certain initiative might Mm. not see it through to conclusion so those sorts of things happen and then there's things that uh, just unintendedly become core applications someone starts uh, an excel sheet and does some critical reporting out of it and that reporting ends up being fundamental to business decision making and before you know it it's another sort of system that we're depending on it's all these kinds of dynamics plus I think there's a new normal and it used to be the dream to, you know, integrate everything into a single enterprise reporting platform, an ERP, mm. and, and, and run the entire organization from one standardized integrated platform. But the dream was never a reality. Vendors changed all the time. New point solutions came in all the time. And I think the reality has become that there are point solutions and integration is the new normal and so with that integration by definition you're going to have a a large number and variety of systems in any sort of sophisticated organization yes i understand when you're talking about spreadsheets that uh, usually it's people's Mm. default to to capture important information right um so i've definitely been in that position before from your experience everything that we sort of discussed today how would you advise a company to sort of improve their data security? And then also around how would you advise people perhaps to plan appropriately that way they don't get to the stage where, as you mentioned, they've got 200 different systems, no one knows what's going on. So I'm keen to hear how you would think through that. Yeah. So um, as I mentioned, start with the data landscape, map out the data landscape that you're dealing with and start classifying that data. I would say minimum classifications would be sensitivity because you've got an obligation there and probably something like business domain and assigning ownership to those various uh, business domains so you've got clear accountability being established right early on in in, in the process. Then get an understanding of your compliance obligations. What are the obligations that apply to your industry Is there a regulator? That kind of thing. And there's also um, what are the obligations related to the data you use in your organization, such as payment data, it might be health data, it might be other forms of personal data or commercially sensitive data. And what regulatory obligations do you have there? Then I'd move on to things like operational procedures and policies. So get an understanding of how that data should be managed and establish those processes and procedures, um, who should be accountable for those and introducing them and where should those accountabilities lie. 
I'd establish a data office pretty early on to take ownership and oversight over this. And then next, I would have a tool and management approach. So what's the tool you're going to use to manage all this metadata that you're collecting? It needs to be flexible enough that you can incorporate organizational specific properties and classifications so that you can actually manage properly. Um, it needs to handle things like um, uh, collaboration, workflow, discussions and sharing. Uh, it also needs to be able to automate as much of this process as possible. I mean, I mentioned before about the, the millions of, of assets we're talking about. I'm not talking about records. I'm talking about millions of, of data assets, tables, columns, files, and so on that need to be controlled and managed and understood so that the organization is protected, right? So automation is key. And I think the tool needs to be able to support that. And then finally, there's a governance overlay to ensure that the organization is going on that journey, um, that there is a measurable uplift in compliance, in control, in governance, and organizational understanding of that data. So that's, that's probably a rough outline of the approach I would take. Can I also ask you too, Raina, when you said earlier that, and I agree with you, when you've got people in the organization, perhaps they're championing some system or whatever it may be, and then they leave. So if you're at the start and you're trying to map out that data landscape, but that person perhaps is, for example, arbitrary, they've got three new systems, but then they've left the company and no one probably even knows that they're even a thing. How would you go about even finding that? Yeah, so this, again, is where automation is key, right? Yeah. You don't want to depend on a person uh, cataloging and classifying that information if you can at all help it. So the data office will help so that you've got a clear responsibility organisationally in your organisation structure and then automation and, and handing over that automation. If someone leaves, it doesn't go with them. It, the, the responsibility for running that auto automation stays within the organization, right? And the information itself is not in a person's head. How that information is being classified, how it's being harvested, how it's being described is all systemic. And mm. so uh, we've removed that single point dependency on a person um, by systemizing it in that way. I guess what I'm hearing from what you're saying as well is got that built-in redundancy, right? Like you don't want to have reliant on one person um, or if someone does leave that you know that you have the capability to ensure you do you do have an understanding of what you, what you have in terms of your data landscape as well. You never want to be exactly. reliant on that because that then creates a lot of risk. Precisely, precisely. The, 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 the organization needs to be sustainable in all aspects of this kind of operation. Would you say companies are sort of moving towards that quite rapidly or I guess it's hard, right? Like it's a hard probably question to answer. It's just more so I'm curious to see if we are moving in the right direction. Uh, but again, like how uh, information technology moves is quite quickly. And like you said earlier, because of the pandemic, we've had to move even more significantly. So I'm curious to see, like, do you think we'll ever get to a stage where we've really got it all right? Or it's just going to be a constant whack-a-mole sort of approach? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I, I, I think, um, look, some organizations and some industries are doing it well. Um, and I think 
by and large, these are probably organisations within a heavily regulated industry, perhaps where there's a regulator appointed, perhaps where the regulator has pretty sharp teeth as well. So there's potentially substantial fines involved for breaches or um, there can even be sort of, uh, you know, licenses to operate removed or revoked and those kinds of things. Um, other organisations that might not be doing it so well um, might be reluctant because of the, uh, you know, the, the thought that it would cost too much to comply. You know, establishing a team, running the project, acquiring the software, setting up the infrastructure, and it might be sort of perceived that that's a little bit too much to take on. Um, but of course, commercially, when comparing the cost of doing those things with the cost of a breach, um, they're kind of sitting on a, a ticking time bomb in a mm. way, right? Because, I mean, the, the consequences can be pretty dire for a breach. Uh, there's firstly, as I mentioned, there's, there's hefty fines. Uh, in extreme cases, organisations can go out of business. There's obviously that very famous case where uh, you know, Facebook data was lost by a, a vendor, Cambridge Analytica, and that organisation doesn't even exist anymore. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you see examples like that. Um, and also there's things like reputational risk and commercial impacts of that reputational risk. Customers are very aware and concerned about their data being protected. Um, and so organisations need to respect the fact that they're dealing with personal data, health data, payment information that really is deserving of that kind of protection. No, you're absolutely right. And I really appreciate you sharing that because I think that's something that people need to, to consider um, quite inherently. Now, what I'd like to ask you uh, lastly is, as you know, data is easier to collect nowadays and many decisions are made off the back of data, which I love because it means that we're taking more of a scientific approach rather than an anecdotal approach. But for executives who do listen to this podcast, what would you sort of say to them so they can confidently steer their company in the right direction but still maintaining data integrity and, and data security? Yeah, look, I mean, I would say start with establishing a data office, get that governance and oversight in place and make it a holistic uh, uh, approach to that data uh, office as well. So including things like you know, a lot of the topics we've been talking about today, policies, procedures, data security, data management, data architecture, the reporting and analytics and supporting those capabilities, getting that semantic understanding right, like the business glossary and so on ensuring master and reference data is used appropriately and also that quality is managed correctly. So with that in mind, the first step is probably a business case. Establish that business case and get the buy-in and get the commitment from the leadership team and measure the delivery against that business case as it delivers incrementally over time. And maybe when you're looking at that incremental delivery, start with a key regulatory or compliance obligation or start with a key data source like a data lake or a data warehouse which has quite large consumption within an organization and um, the organization would greatly benefit from getting that understanding because you know if, if you start there for example then 
consumers of that data will have an improved understanding of the value of the data and the respect that it deserves. And that greater knowledge of the data landscape will help with more leveraging of that data for reporting and analytics and better governance of that data, which will ultimately lead to improved decision-making. And all of this is a journey. So it's not just a project, it's a cultural shift in the organisation. And so that cultural shift will embed itself in the organisation. And so the organisation will move to a data-driven culture and more fact-based decision-making with greater efficiency, greater returns on uh, on decisions being made, greater confidence in those decisions, and then improve business outcomes ultimately. I love how um, methodical you are and realistic as well. Like it is a journey, like it's not going to happen overnight. It's not just something that's a project where it's one and done. So I really appreciate you sharing your insights, sharing your thoughts and sharing your knowledge on this topic that I still feel that people do need a lot more clarity uh, on this as well. So Raina, I really appreciate your time uh, this morning and, and you talking uh, to me and my audience because I believe that you have shared a wealth of knowledge. If people perhaps have a question for you that I didn't ask you today, how can they go about getting in contact with you? Uh, sure, they can email me on uh, my email, raina.runge, R-A-I-N-E-R.R-U-N-G-E at alexsolutions.com.au and I'd be... Uh, happy to field any questions like that awesome well thanks again Rena, and i really appreciate it can't wait to chat again soon thank you carissa great to talk today thanks for tuning in to kb cast the cybersecurity podcast for executives we always value your support and would love it if you could leave us a review or a comment on your platform of choice, iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And that's always appreciated. Till next time.